You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! It's another episode of Mike and Kristen! Yay! Yay! Is everybody cheering out there? <laughs> Cheer! Yay! Yay! We got a, a a digital image of you and I and George that looks like cartoon versions of ourselves, which yeah. I feel like that little intro fit it, like our own little cartoon TV yeah. show. Do you think we could have? Yeah, we could we could get a cartoon done about our life. That would be that would be exciting. That would be. George would be the star. Do you think? Uh, probably. Yeah. Probably. He goes on his epic adventures in the woods it might not be for kids in that case if it's about george what kids don't like murdered animals or <laughs> it'd be like a serial killer cartoon <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's you know you got to teach them sometime this is start the, him young the huh? real life lessons <laughs> can you tell that we're not parents <laughs> <laughs> we're aunts and uncles so unlike today's guest who future dad like he's all in the dad world three kids yeah yeah mr john mullane john mullane he is a very successful musician with his band in flight safety they they were all over the place touring getting songs and shows and movies had a shout out from David Bowie to kick off their career. Like, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, what? You couldn't have anything better than that happen. Like, your band just starting and one of the biggest names in musical history just says, yeah, these guys are good. How exciting must that have been? And he talks about how that really c- kind of inspired some confidence within them as a band. Like, and who, of course it did. Yeah. It's David Bowie. But it's a, yeah, it's a fun story to hear how we got his start and, and really where he is now. Like this has been a lifetime. He's It's a, a legacy piece of work that he's had for his whole career. Yeah, and he, he's kind of tra- transitioned out of playing as many live shows and is more in the studio now and being an engineer and mixing and mentoring young people and he's he's someone i i've gone to with uh questions about audio engineering and he's he's just really good at it and has a great ear and a good sense of song and for our last album i kind of hired him to be a, a final almost like a proofreader on a book i sent him the mixes the final stage just to get his opinions on them and he just gave some feedback that that i implemented into them so yeah he's he's very good at what he does and has a a huge list of artists he's worked with that he's he's gained a lot of notoriety through he has so much experience to lean into that would only serve the musician he's been in their shoes so yeah. he knows what it feels like he knows what the end result could or should look like. And yeah. so, yeah, definitely encourage you to to look him up and have a listen to this episode to learn more about his life. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, check out some, some in-flight safety songs online and we're going to play one at the end. That's a, 
that's the best way to end an episode yeah. is to hear someone's artwork. Yeah. Yeah. Dive head first into yeah, some awesome sounds. Um great, great guy, great musician, and uh, very talented. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks so much, John, for spending some time with us here in Hot Jupiter Sounds. We hope everyone enjoys this chat and uh, don't be afraid to let John know how much you enjoyed it and how much you love in flight safety's music. Cheers, folks. Want the the real John Mulaney? Yeah, not the. Hey, in, we have a show coming up. Senses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have a show coming up, and you guys should check it out because we're a band. Well, especially if you're releasing an album or promoting a tour, you you almost get this monologue in your head that you're repeating with interviews. Hundred percent, just on and on and on. Yeah, you have, you have your little narrative about the album blurb or the song yeah. blurb, and you say it a thousand <laughs> times and sound sound like it's a little maybe rehearsed even though it's not it just you yeah. have to you have to answer the question no I, it's totally true and listening back to interviews i'm like man i'm just like am i doing sales or am i doing an interview like i tend to just keep to the talking points about or like trying to sell something you got to like this and you know yeah. you frame it a certain way and try to make it sound more exciting maybe than it was and mm. it kind of sounds funny in, in hindsight but uh it's such it. a big part of of marketing ourselves as creative people though you it is kind of like a sales pitch totally yeah you get good you get good at doing sales yeah. <laughs> the elevator pitch or whatever yeah. that was i always hated how like you go to conferences and people would always say Ac- actually have your elevator pitch down and yeah. it it always felt awkward just trying to sum up like um, your band, your musical career, your 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 entire life in like two sentences. Yeah. yeah. What's it like? Because you guys do the five minute pitch. Like that's is it five minutes? Is that the typical? If you're going um, to music week and have the the one on one, they ha- well they have an actual thing called the five minute pitch. Yeah. Where you're on stage for five minutes and you can do whatever you want to try to impress over a room of people. I've seen. Well, a lot of people usually just get up, say a little bit about a song, and then play it, and that's it. But I've seen I've seen Ben Kaplan just get on stage and talk for five minutes and like <laughs> win over everybody just because yeah. he's good at that. The theater, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's good at that enunciation and commanding a room. I feel yeah. like he could just stand there though, really, yeah. and people will be interested. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But yeah, it, there's there's a lot of different types of meetings that can happen, and that is one of them, the actual five-minute pitch. But there is one-on-one meetings at these types of events, typically, and usually you have five or ten minutes with someone. Um goes by pretty quick, though. And are you leading that meeting? I've actually never done one. Yeah. I've watched them. Oh, okay. I think I was, it just wasn't my personality to yeah. go up there. And I think I was too shy, you yeah. know, just like, here's a song. This is, this is my music career. Yeah. Here's Are a song. people now meeting with you though? Yeah. Now, now I do like the industry side of things. Like uh, when I want to work on a record and I have some questions about what I should do to get ready for that. Like more of the like prep stuff or talk about recording stuff but yeah i when i was when i was in the band i didn't do that stuff because yeah. just what well, didn't suit me mm. like we just played a bunch of songs and got off stage there wasn't too much else to it yeah played them loud i don't but, think yeah. any i don't think anyone likes just going to sit at a table and then talk yeah. about themselves yeah. for 
for for X amount of time. Although I've done those, the speed yeah. meetings, but there's that that uh, we go on stage for five minutes. Yeah, that five minute pitch, like performance thing. Yeah, I think that's something. Uh, maybe I'm mixing it up, but yeah, that seems kind of scary to me. It's just like you and an acoustic guitar, and I know a lot of people are good at that that kind of stuff. I just never had that. We uh, one year. I got up, played a song, and it was nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday or something. So everyone was out Friday night, and uh, we made peanut butter and jam sandwiches for all the delegates. So we I got up. Who wants a peanut butter and jam sandwich? And a few hands went up. <laughs> Reluctant so, hands. So Bruce just made them on stage yeah. while I was singing a song and just handed them out. And, it's went over the, pretty good. The whole axiom of like the drummer who has nothing to do during those <laughs> interviews. Like, that's tough, man. Like, we'd show up at a radio station and Glenn's like, what do you want me to do here? Like a shaker. And like, come on, man, just be part of this. Mm. It was always like a uh, smile. It was always awkward. Yeah. Would your advice be that kind of separating a little bit from the industry stuff will serve you as an authentic creative person, though? Like, don't worry about that. Just do what you do and it will kind of take care of itself. Yeah, I think you've already nailed it. I think that the same thing. Yeah. I mean, just be yourselves, but uh, I don't know what we would have done in those. It's like, as in flight safety, you just be like, here's a song. <laughs> I never talked about the songs that much because, frankly, I didn't know what I was talking about. I wrote mm. lyrics that felt right. I never was always sure what I was writing about. Yeah. Later, I'd figure it out. I go, oh, okay. I get that. One. What was your songwriting process? <sighs> I think, I mean, pretty similar to like a lot of our friends, maybe, but just like, yeah, just work on chords for a while and hum a melody then kind yeah. of find the first lyric for me like so for me it was always like the first lyric yeah like i i remember like a couple songs in particular it's like oh i got the chorus first and then i go backwards and like kind of it's like a i fill in a puzzle yeah. out of order i i don't know if that's how everyone does it but like i would just sort of sketch it in and then oh, i need to starting to this song yeah and kind of build it that way rather than start to finish i don't think i've wrote too many songs start to finish model homes is the one song mm. That I kind of just got picked up a guitar, boom. Yeah, it happened in five minutes, and then it was over. Yeah, start. Yeah. I, I probably have a couple start to finish, but yeah, it is pretty piecemeal. Like yeah, yeah and a lot of the time it's just some something stands out to you, like mm -hmm. it's a line, a riff, whatever. Then you that just becomes the basis for it, and you're just filling in the the pieces yeah. around it. Yeah, totally. Same. And then like something doesn't feel right. I can't let it go. It's like, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. That line is wrong or that melody or that, that verse set of chords just doesn't feel quite as exciting as the, the chorus. Yeah. So I had always would like, I would just renovate a song, like and smash the wall down, build yeah. a new one. And if it was wrong, I'd do it again. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, you, you spoke earlier before this little yeah. bit about perfectionism is that uh where that comes I, into play in your songwriting i don't know like i don't think i'm as much of a perfectionist as i'm just like a completist like i want it to be done yeah and i once i knew a song was done i, I don't need to like if the recording was like no it's close enough i i was usually pretty okay with that yeah. but if the song was wrong like the actual foundation i couldn't let that go yeah because you know that was a problem it caused problems in our career where i'm like that's not that's not right i can't release that song mm -hmm. we had to go back and change it or something it wasn't so much perfection i don't think it's like i just didn't feel like it was true or honest yeah and i need to, so i mean it's related to perfectionism i guess yeah <laughs> it is a good distinction though because yeah. perfectionism almost can't exist in the arts right perfect to yeah. whom but. yeah exactly yeah that's that's totally fair but yeah there's def i don't want to say i'm not a perfectionist because there's some part of that too so you you toured all over the place for many years with your band in flight safety 
let's uh, let's go back to the 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 start of that. I know uh, Mount A was an important part of the the beginning of that. Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, uh, before Mount A, and I, I knocked around Moncton, where I where I, my hometown, and couldn't find anyone to be in a band with. I yep. tried, and then I kind of gave up on it a bit. Had some bands in the university that were, you know, they're okay, like yeah. covers and a few originals. None, none, nothing I would play for you guys today. <laughs> um, but then uh, I just, I think when I finished school, I was like just graduating or a year from it. I was like, that's when I felt like the need to have this band. And so I ended up meeting a lot of people at Mount A, but it was near the end of my degree. Okay, so I yeah. actually was like meeting, finding people to be in a band. And I stayed around Mount A. After I graduated, I just rented a yeah. house and commuted into Moncton for work. And that's where I met Glenn. Yeah. And then he brought some people in and, but I went through so many different people before I got to Glenn and yeah. Glenn was the key to like unlocking the rest of the band. Was it something about his playing style, his personality? Yeah. Like I, maybe our personalities and then, um, what the kind of music that we liked yeah. really connected us. Yeah. So that was where that started. Were you going through university knowing that you were going to pursue a career in music <laughs> yes. all oh, along. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, but I, but I, at the same time, I think I have this realism where I was like, it's not happening. I mean, the bands I was in in university, they were fun, but we, we, no one would come to the shows or yeah. there was, you know, do you know that thing of like in university when there's like the college bands and like the jam bands would like fill, um, we weren't that. <laughs> That's what we weren't. We were like playing like in flight safety. Early in flight safety was like six yeah. minute songs of like brooding tremolo guitar and then building into an epic outro, you know, with strings on the keyboard and stuff like that. And that just wasn't something. Any, and I wasn't very good at that, to be fair. Um, uh, we weren't very good at it. And we had to learn a little more about what that was. So, yeah, just I knew painfully that even though I love music and that was where my heart was, yeah. it wasn't happening yeah and that and then until until something happened until something happened until yeah. the the right group of people came together ultimately that's just it and you yeah. know what happened and i and i'm uh, lately i'm feeling more um spiritual than i ever have yeah about i'm not very religious per se but like the universe has information for us and we take things from its signs if you want to choose yeah. to, to, to follow them and that was like one of those things that happened the first year of the Mount A, like the post Mount A, but I was living in Sackville trying to, we started in flight safety as yeah. we got that email from David Bowie yeah. from a friend who sent the record to him, who that was the song. I'm like, okay, John, like if he said, this is, this is cool. Thanks for sending this EP. And that was it. Let's tell this story. Yeah. So that was the moment. Um, and I, and I, and I, I'm not trying to shoehorn this in. It was just, that was the sign from the universe. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. that's something. Because I'm very much like, nah, I don't know, it's not going to happen. But when one of the biggest names in musical history says you guys are good. <laughs> or just said, like, this is a really nice album. Thanks. For, yeah. like, how is this happening? You know, I'm in Sackville in a basement recording these on a on a uh, Behringer, a four-channel Behringer mixer, directly, yeah. like, piping that directly into the motherboard before sound cards were, like, easily found in 2002, yeah. right? Like, so, like, an eighth of an inch into the motherboard sound. That's how I tracked that record. And uh, the fact that he had this to say that my friend, uh, my, my my new friend at the time, M. Griner, was someone we met. And she like sent it to him. Like the fact that that happened was, I just took that. And I was like, okay, what am I waiting for? Yeah. Like this is, in, this is an incredible bo uh, boost of confidence. Mm -hmm. And like, because and I, I, we typically lacked a lot of confidence when we were, because 
I've been beaten down quite a bit for years until yeah. that moment of like, is this any good? Don't like the way my voice sounds, you know, all that kind of thing. So yeah. we, I don't know who, if, if everyone goes through that or, yeah. Saying that you feel like maybe you're in a different spiritual place in your life now, hearing from David Bowie back then, <laughs> yeah. did you recognize it as a sign at that moment yeah. in your life? Yeah, yeah. I, I fell out of my chair, basically, because mm. as a big fan of popular music, like, you know, just the fact that small town bunch of lads could be somehow even loosely joined to that force of of artistic you know mm. um you know that kind of creator was it just blew my mind yeah. i like I, I stopped what i was doing and got the other guys out of class mm. like yeah. you have to see this and it was a very small like polite email but like just the fact that it came yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't like hey we want to help you and it was just that he sent a nice little note yeah. through he didn't have to do that so and how did things change after that? Um, I think there was just like a general sense of more like direction and confidence. And then yeah. we, I got a little obsessive of like, okay, there's something here. Let's like, let's keep, let's keep working on yeah. it and, and let's make it even better if we can. And that, that continued for the rest of the band. I mean, I think yeah. I drove myself crazy trying to quote unquote perfect what mm. we were doing. Mm. Yeah. For better or worse, I don't, sometimes probably for worse. <laughs> and career-wise, yeah. once once you got that message um, from Mr. Bowie, how did <laughs> did you use that as leverage in well, any way, or did it just kind of? We, we tried. Yeah, I think we probably did it too much. We put it on the poster and stuff. Yeah, some people in the industry were like, "Don't, don't do that." I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's fair. I think anyone. <laughs> Like in their their early twenties, if like one of the biggest musical. I'm from Moncton, man. Come <laughs> yeah. on, I gotta put this out there. Yeah, like yeah, like an athlete, like <laughs> a hockey player who's like a kid, and Sidney Crosby says, "This guy's these guys are great." Like you're gonna you're gonna talk about that. Yeah, you're gonna have a T-shirt with that on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Couldn't couldn't shy away too much from that. But um, yeah, from there we just like did what regular bands do. I mean, that was only yeah. one small thing in in hindsight, but yeah. uh, it was a sign, I think, from the universe, like, yeah. hey pull your head out of your ass you've got some songs here maybe they're not all there yet but you've yeah. got a couple at least and uh it's hard to get to those first couple songs like if you're thinking about town hero songs or mike ryan songs yeah. like that feel like you and they feel authentic it's hard to get there it's not it doesn't just come out necessarily yeah. some people are geniuses and they can just write something and it's like well there it is fully realized but for me it took 10 years to get to a song that made yeah. sense for my voice and my point of view and all that stuff yeah once you got to that 10 years and figured out how to craft them, I'm sure they came a little quicker though after yeah. that. Yeah. I threw a lot away. So yeah. I would, we would write like uh, t 20 or 30 and then pick 10 for a record. So yeah. it was painful, like doing the band's records. That's why there's only three full length records. And um, we just really, you know, would take three years. Yeah. How did it, you know when you had arrived? Just know, just a feeling okay. like that's good. Okay. Stand the test of a time, like maybe a month later, you still like the song. And then I also kind of thought, well, if I have to play this live for two years, back in the day, you would tour for a year and a half, yeah. you know, like off and on. It wouldn't be just like a blip, right? So yeah. had to be quite in love with the songs you were making. And um, we would, I always would say like, we would make a record in between the record and then throw that away, mm. like to try to get to the next one. So it was just, it wasn't practical to continue doing that. Like, you know, I'm jumping around the timeline here, but that's kind of how the band made songs. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. A that's lot. Well, and it's something I think it's easy to lose sight of in particular when you're making a living 
from creation because you feel like you don't really have time to do that in between stuff. Like you want to land on your 10 best songs immediately. Yeah. And it feels like wasted mm. time. And of course it is not. It's part of the journey. But uh, when you're trying to like make a living off of things, it gets incredibly, you know, you get anxious about like, well, when is, is this going to be done? And people are asking you questions. Yeah. And, yeah, we had a really long time between the last record and the record before because it's just like mental meltdowns pretty much. What type just, of touring were you doing? Um, I mean, a lot like you were doing. Um, yeah. Some just like across Canada um, and then blips like down to the States and the East Coast yeah. and Europe a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes to the West Coast of the States just for a couple shows. Yeah. And then, um, I think two too crazy but you know enough to, and then like a lot of like one-offs and local yeah. shows and stuff like that festivals and things yeah did you feel like your audience i've always had had the trouble off once you get outside the maritimes it's it's harder to yeah. to get those rooms filled and yeah. in certain spots like calgary yeah we'll we'll get 400 people out because there's so many people from the <laughs> east coast but <laughs> my whole career up to this point has essentially been trying to rely on people from the east coast <laughs> And hoping the hell that someone at CBC or somewhere nationally will actually play a song yeah, on the radio sounds, or whatever yeah. it may be. It sounds similar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of, hope, a lot of hope and prayer um, with, uh, uh, you know, you know, we would have to spend a bunch of money to make a record. And like, I remember just being like, well, how are we going to make this back? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Being in the van and someone would send an email like, okay, NBC is going to license this song for this show yeah. and it pays this much. And I take the phone and just throw it. And like all this like relief would come over me because like I've yeah. overextended us, no yeah. question, you know, like, but then that was those moments I would, I kind of had faith they would happen, Yeah, but that's not exactly a great business model <laughs> for a business. But I think as artists, we all know that's kind of a bit of what it is. It's a little bit of like, take a leap and, and have faith that yeah. this will come through and that like financially, if you put out something maybe like that feels honest and is, is hopefully good, like it'll come through like, and that's. A lot when you have other people who are responsible, you're responsible too. So I yeah. think that was wearing on me a bit. You've had some big success with uh, like TV shows. Your Grey's Anatomy was a big one for you. Uh, right? I, th I think for us it was. Uh, we didn't get Grey's Anatomy. Okay. But we had we had some success with NBC. So yeah, the, yeah. the Office and a couple other okay. smaller shows. Yeah, one was yeah. called Chuck and uh, Allison Allison Schneider was very. Um, somehow on our radar, she found our. She was the supervisor okay, at, yeah. at NBC who got us into the hands of the shows. Yeah. Yeah. So we were super lucky with that. I think that's from the, those film fest things. They used to do like, uh, ECMA and the film fest used to have yeah. people showcase for those people. So mm. we, we benefited from those things for sure. And your music was kind of a perfect fit for, for that type of stuff as yeah, well. A little more, you know, soundscapey and yeah. score, <laughs> score like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it definitely, uh, it definitely, uh, that, that was a big part of our career was the music and TV or film and TV stuff. Yeah. Did you have a team of people working to get you those placements? Yeah. We eventually had a team of people who, um, were um, pitching for us, uh, like a publisher, but uh, early on it was just independent. It was just yeah. through those film fest connections and stuff. Yeah. Like people would be like, they're just like see bands. Like back in the day, there was more opportunities. Like we we're luckier than Bands today are just as good. It's just not as much can get the industry in front of them as quickly. You know, we were lucky, you know. And I feel like there's a lot more people doing the same thing now to like yeah. vying for those limited and opportunities. It's, it's less people like, yeah, to check it out. Yeah. yeah. Is that because it's saturated? Like because of social media or just 
the world at your fingertips that you think it's a little different now? You want to uh, take that mic? Geez. <laughs> Over well, the mic. <laughs> I think it might be just easier to be a band now for for various reasons. Because like, in the past, there's just tons of bands, but if you couldn't afford to record stuff, like you might you might be together for a few months and then whatever, you go separate ways. But when you have the ability to record stuff by buying a few mics and gear yourself and then you create something, you put it out, you feel more real mm-hmm. and maybe you stay together longer. I'm just theorizing. Yeah, here. it's it's hard to know. But yeah, I, yeah. I feel like there, there there's more bands who take it a little more serious than, than people 20, 15, 20 years ago. Anyone who was trying to make a living back then was incredibly serious and going very hard. Mm-hmm. But I feel like those those acts still exist now, obviously. But I feel like there's more kind of middle ground artists who are putting stuff out there, releasing the Spotify. It's easy to put your stuff out in the world and easy to find these connections. But I think it's just more people doing it. Yeah, like the, I guess there's more more people more background noise and hard to get people's attention yeah and also like let's be real like the songs coming out today are probably as good or better than some of the songs from 20 years ago like it's crazy like so people who have no following are putting out these incredible songs that i'm absolutely blown away i it blows my mind like this is not on charts or in a show it just exists on streaming service like you know with some listeners of course but like i'm kind of blown away at the level of skill from younger people artists today or, or not, yeah. not necessarily young some are, are coming to it later like old like older people are still new um i don't want to exclude that because there are some people i work with who are just new to it and they're just really good at it and you in back in back in our day <laughs> you your career you had to be touring like there's no way to get your name out there other than playing shows yeah but now someone can could become famous without ever even playing a show right <laughs> like that those types of things didn't exist yeah, not that long ago. So, so these people can write these amazing new songs, record it, put it out, and all of a sudden, millions of people know who they are. And not so long ago, you had, the only way you could really get a, an audience was to pound the pavement. Yeah, I think that's true. Like you had to play live, and and we didn't love playing live. Like we were more of a recording kind of stare at our feet, play the guitar. So we yeah. weren't the best at live shows. Like. Not the best entertainers, to be fair. But we I just... watched uh, a live ECMA performance of In Flight yeah. Safety uh, not too long ago, and I I thought that was pretty darn solid. Yeah, yeah. That was well, one... I mean, it's like four four years later, <laughs> five <laughs> years into it, so we learned a few things maybe. But yeah, we didn't have much of that uh, um, knowledge of how to you know entertain us like for a set. You know, yeah. like we had to learn it a bit. Yeah. We, I think we learned it a little bit, but uh, was it fun? When you were performing live, uh, I'm I'm I think it's not my natural state. Mm-hmm. If I'm honest, I I liked it. I like I'm like one of those writers or like creators. Like I like to have written. I like to have played the show. Like once yeah. I'm done, I'm like that was yes. awesome. Yeah. I'm not much in the moment. Um, sometimes with like writing or making a record. Like making yeah. a record can be painful. Uh, producing a song can be really like tiring and like yeah. maxes your brain out and you're thinking about it nonstop and that that can really weigh you down a bit but when it's done it's that that is where i i i thrive yeah <laughs> is I it thrive there. <laughs> is it the feeling of 
I completion of satisfaction of relief like what is it about that because I've heard other artists describe this not just in music but even oh, I had this big art show or a play or whatever the thing is that you're choosing to do this you're choosing to invest your energy into this moment but you're almost kind of dreading it while it's happening it's the aftermath that you're basking in it so for you like what is it about that experience that that's the preferred moment of that cycle I don't know the answer to that. That's a great question. I actually don't know. Um, I'm like that with a lot of things. I just mm -hmm. like if I'm working on the that we were talking earlier about fixing a railing and how we're trying to learn how to <laughs> do some more home repairs in our old yeah. age and it's it's daunting. And but like when it's done, you feel pretty good about about it. Like it's I like things to be hmm. done and out there and usable. Yeah. Like when things are at home and they're broken, I want to get them fixed, mm -hmm. even if they're things we don't don't use. It's something about like I can't bothers me if there's like a broken something let's just get it fixed mm -hmm. and then we'll we'll sell it like i don't want it to be like uh, when i sell something i i won't sell it broken i'll pay a 100 bucks to get a, an amp fixed then i'll sell it mm -hmm. i just can't I, don't, I like things to be useful i relate this to even having a tidy house that it it makes me just feel more at ease more yes. relaxed more clear and i can see how Having something broken or even it being on your mind that mm -hmm. you have this performance to do, bringing it back to, to music, that knowing that when it's finished, you can kind of chill. And I don't yeah. know if it's that we're on this pursuit for just free time, maybe, or like this state of relaxation. I know that must be on your mind <laughs> yeah, these with, days. With, uh, with all the kids, it's like <laughs> we were talking earlier about how, yeah, like just finding 15 minutes of not doing something. But I am also obsessed with doing things. I love making things. like. Mm. I like productions or like I've worked a little bit casually on film and TV sets because my friends used to work there so I could pick up some work in between doing music stuff. Yeah. I like that. I don't think about that as work. I'd just be like tidying up cables or connecting cables for the for the cameras and just I like being part of that stuff. Yeah. It doesn't feel like work to me. Um, making things, yeah. So yeah, now, now it's like, but I, there's something about being done something that makes me feel good. Um, I feel a little bit preoccupied, I yeah. think. Until something's done. Like right now, I have a mix, a set of mixed notes yeah. that I got this morning. And I'm like, oh, I could get those done. Yeah. And then I'll feel good. <laughs> it can't be healthy. <laughs> can't, I, relating my, my uh, yeah, personal well-being to like things being done can't be healthy. And I know it hasn't been healthy for me in certain instances, especially early in the band. Um, but uh, I've, I hit a few brick walls there. But yeah. I know for me, live, playing live, I certainly enjoy it. But there is all those little variables about things that could go wrong and the the end of it is to me so rewarding when they don't go wrong right you know? yeah <laughs> yeah i overcame this <laughs> shitty guitar cable that was <laughs> crapping out at the last gig and that didn't happen yeah. but uh and i think i think humans in general just are always a little bit afraid of the unknown and the, the, the bad things that could happen. I think that's me too. Like in particular, like I like to, I don't, I'm not a control freak, but I like to know what's coming. Yeah. I I'm bad. So with being in a band was almost like predestined for me. I needed that Yeah, because it's controlled chaos. Like being in a band, there's nothing goes right. Yeah, being on or, tour, nothing goes exactly as planned. Yeah. And I think somehow my, I spiritually was seeking that out. Like, this is for me. You need this. Yeah. And I did, I sought it out to great, you know, great discomfort, like, you know, like financially it was challenging yeah. and like finding the people took me like all my energy to find the right people. So yeah. I know that I was compelled to be in a band, um, and still feel like that's who I am, even though I'm not in the band, Glenn and I haven't closed the door on it or anything, but yeah. we don't do it much, but I still feel like that's who I am, like at my essence, even though like 
here. It sounds like I'm saying I'm not enjoying playing live. You know, I love live shows and I enjoyed being in the band. And no, no, I being a front person, but there's all these other things that, that yeah. can overwhelm it a little bit. Yeah, because I don't want it to sound too negative. And, and like, all all the thing. all the stuff that you learned while playing in the band is basically what your life is now. You're you're studio engineer, mixing engineer, and I'm sure that's all stuff you picked up along the way from yeah. all your your travels. Yeah, and, and like also then my my thing is being an engineer now is is my natural state. Like I think I did that when I was 16. I had the yeah. four track and then the the old BR8, the Boss BR8. Oh yeah, <laughs> zip, I recorded it with one of those <laughs> BR8 100 CD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're recording onto glass it's like, hey, <sighs> but that, uh yeah <laughs> I, I saw recently tame impala used that on like one of their huge recordings cool yeah and there's some cool effects in that, yeah. that box like some built-in effects <laughs> but uh that was my natural state and then the band um took over my life for a long time and i produced the band's records yeah uh with some help and uh yeah, it just sort of, I think it's, the band was beneficial to like now when I'm talking with artists, I can see when people are anxious about yeah. mm -hmm. their music or like where it's going. I have a little more insight on how to, you know, help give them context, I think. Because like, or when a singer's singing in the studio, I know when they're feeling a little uptight about it. Yeah. Like I can, because I was that person. So yeah. I, I think that's helped me a lot as an engineer. So mm -hmm. they, And I know you're in a similar place when you're producing stuff, you know the other side of it. Yeah. And the people who are just engineers, it's hard to empathize with the anxiety of making a record is far mm. greater than you'd ever know if you're not putting your name on it. So when people choose to use me as a producer or an engineer, it's, uh, I know the anxiety that goes into that choice. Yeah. Like, is he going to mess this up? Or is this, are we going to like this? So I always try to take great care. Obviously yeah. we, we all do, but like, I'll go whatever extra mile I, I can to try to make an artist feel like, let me help you navigate the emotion of this too. It's not just mixing. Yeah, because mm. notes come back. That's easy, but it's there's sometimes some of the notes say things that are not just notes. Mm. They're like you need to give some context to them. Like, okay, this is going to get fixed in mastering. Let's talk about why. And like you know, it, I get a lot of notes that are not really technical notes. So I can see that it's like more them worried about their voice or what can mm. we do to make your voice sound more like you want. So I I try to look at it from an artist's point of view because I was the anxious artist trying to get someone to help me. And, um. When I was, you know, in in-flight safety, yeah. And that's amazing. You can lean on that. Like, you have 20 years of experience of all these different situations where there's likely not going to be a scenario that arises where you're like, well, I don't, I haven't seen this before. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> the other day when the cable was unplugged a quarter, a quarter inch and it yeah. didn't work, <laughs> that was like, God damn it. I should have figured that out. Um, you know, there's always something, but, uh, I do definitely rely on, on my band experience yeah. and, uh. To me, it's like the artists first, the recording comes second, mm. you know, like, you know, cares about the technical stuff. Like it, it'll work itself out, but, uh, the artist isn't comfortable. The song isn't going to be good. And navigating relationships is probably the biggest skill that someone learns from, from playing in a band totally. just because you, you're managing so many different personalities. And if you can't do that, then the band doesn't last. Yeah. And you definitely fail at it too. And I learned yeah. from those moments where I wasn't doing it well and yeah. moments where I did do well, maybe, uh, you know, I just, there's both sides of it. Like sometimes you just really shit the bed on yeah. like, I shouldn't have said that to that band member or that person we worked with, or I shouldn't have let on about this or that. And like, you know, those sort of haunt you and you learn from them. Yeah. 
It sounds like a lot of your craft is about feel or intuition. Has that guided you with choosing who you're working with in this role? Yes, uh, definitely. You're, you're definitely right. Like I think feel and intuition, like I'm following threads. Like I'm mm -hmm. always looking for clues. Like, uh, but at the same time, I'll take anyone who contacts me. I think if they're contacting me to work on something, there's a reason for it. Yeah. They've done their yeah. research. They're not just randomly. And I don't do very much like, I'm, I don't want to just rent the studio out to people to like engineer things. I'll yeah. do it for friends, but I want to just be like, let's work on a song or yeah. a record. So I don't get a lot of like, hey, can we come record drums and then just disappear? It's usually just friends who will do that. And that's fine. I like engineering for friends and I'm trying to help end up enjoying that a lot. But um, if someone's contacted me, there's a, again, there's a lot of anxiety and things that are put into those decisions. So I know that they've checked out what I've done. I don't, don't try to explain it away or anything. I just kind of go right into, okay, how do you want to send me what you have and let's, let's work on it. I just jump right in. And yeah. they're putting all that trust into you. Yeah. And, uh, I, I felt that myself in working on other people's songs. Like people will ask for something just, and maybe I've never even done it before, but they just have this, they just think I can do everything. And I'm like, that, that's really nice. Actually. Like I all have to go YouTube what to, to do with this, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but it, it's, it's nice when someone has that faith and belief in you. Yeah. And I guess you, you have to live up to it by, uh, by YouTubing videos, but, uh, it's, um, yeah, I, when, when people hire you as an engineer, they're, it's likely not someone who just listened to some mixes you did. Like they're, they've probably know other people you work with, got recommendations and they just yeah. know who you are as a person more than anything. Yeah. And that's what they, they want to be in the same room as that. It totally. And like, it's so funny. The YouTube thing's true. Cause like the amount of like professional engineers, like I'm on YouTube every third day going, well, yeah. how am I going to get that to work? Yeah. <laughs> you know, truth is coming out with both of part you right of, now. Part of the gig, right? You gotta, you gotta yeah. keep your, uh, your learning up as well. Yeah. And, um, you're right though. Like when people contact me, I treat it like it's very sacred. Um, yeah. even people who I don't know, like yeah. I have a couple of new people that I, I'm, trying to see if we can find a, a vibe together and yeah. who are just random to me, but like, let's talk about it. And like, I'll get, yeah. I want them to come into the studio. Um, I like, I like the random connections too, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into contacting someone. And, um, obviously I treat it as you know, very seriously and, and want to make sure I, I try to take the project where it needs to go. Um, and sometimes if I can, I would just say, I don't think this is working and yeah. here's a person that could work on it. Yeah. I don't mind that. It's, how it, important yeah. is getting to know that person? Like, are you spending time just sitting with them chatting like we are now? Yeah, I love to do that when I can, mm. if someone will allow it. Yeah. yeah. Some people just want to get to work, but I, right. I like to know 100% of the time if I do that, I do a better job. Yeah. Like, where do you see this project going yeah. and what's your vision? That kind of. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Yesterday I mixed a song for a uh, friend's band and. I knew when I did the first mix, like I'll call it mix zero. So it's like, just here's zero. It's like 85% done. Mm -hmm. I knew it just wasn't anything. It just was me just doing some stuff. And, uh, I knew I had to find a more of a, a sound or like approach An approach is the right word. Like I knew I needed an approach, but I didn't have it. So I just sent it back to them knowing like they're not, they're going to be like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what this is yet. And then they had this idea, like, let's make the acoustic guitar more central and like, boom, then I knew, okay. I know this is what we're going to do. So I always looking for like, who are these people? 
how does it fit with the rest of their work and what's the approach on this like a mix isn't just a mix it's like you're trying to like get a, a sound of like who these people are right yeah. it's like you're communicating emotion with mixing it's not the tech the technical thing to me is like important but it's so secondary to like how do you get this vibe and uh so once we knew like uh, this we had i ne always need like an idea of like how do i finish this song because yeah. and that will haunt me until i know oh we need another part and then if they just sing a harmony here we'll feature that that will make it sound the way it should and so sent back this kind of like faders up mix where everything's loud doesn't sound right and then we had this idea of like let's make it more like a 90s acoustic pop song mm. and then the guitars became secondary and then it had a vibe to it so i, re I really like those conversations that yeah. without them i can't finish a song to be honest yeah I'll, I'll i'll talk to bands more than they want because i need to know what to do yeah <laughs> like and maybe it's a, a style thing depending on who the producer is but i imagine even like if you go to therapy for example the idea is that you as the client arrive on that conclusion on your own like you're kind of guided do you guys find in your roles that it's important for the artist to sort of reach that conclusion themselves or are you saying like this is what i think you should do to improve that song oh man yeah i do that so much less than i did when mm -hmm. i started I don't know, like, yeah, I did that a lot when I started. It was, like, very didactic. You're going to do this. You should do this. We mm. should do this. But I was, like, creating a lot of songs in my own image. And my big change in the past few years is, like, recognizing that, like, I'm not making an in-flight safety song here. It's not a John song. It's someone yeah. else's song. And that's yeah. actually hard to do, I think, Mike. You know, like, it's yeah. probably one of the hardest things is to, like, get yourself out of the way a bit. Of course, it's going to have your influence in there. And I realize I also need to put my influence in there or it doesn't sound right necessarily. If I don't like allow myself to kind of come through a little bit, uh, it doesn't sound like anything. But uh, I, I do find I back away a bit more than I used to. Yeah. 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 I think that's just finding that middle ground. Like, obviously, I'm going to sound like I sound and put my influence in there. But at the end of the day, if that's not what the client wants, I'm trying to give them the, the closest thing to their vision as possible. And sometimes what I put in there is exactly that, but other times something I may think is the right way to do it is not what, what they're looking for. So it's a kind of, I don't want to say compromise, but it's, it's just arriving at that vision that they want. And sometimes it's a little more yourself, a little less, you, you never really know. Mm -hmm. It's just having that conversation with them to know where that will take the song. Even you giving the example of Tame Impala using the primitive gear, like you might not recommend that to someone, but it it resulted in this really cool sound. Yeah. So there's that kind of, it could be a missed opportunity, I suppose, if you're too in your own singular lane. 100%. I think, yeah, the artist is obviously the most important part of like making a song with an artist. Like it shouldn't be the producer. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's some exceptions to that rule, like with certain producers uh, out in the world, but uh, try to get out of the way. But you, you have to learn that, I think. Still learning how to do that. Today's episode is brought to you by the amazing Wilson's Coastal Club. This resort has eight cottages, ranging from bachelor to three-bedroom units, so you can take the whole family along, including your fur babies. Dogs are welcome. 
Mallory and Kyle, the owners, are two awesome people who have created the perfect getaway for you. And we've stayed there ourselves, and, you know, we felt like two little kids on vacation. This hidden gem is right on the ocean. They've got a private beach with loungers for all of their guests, e-bikes, and all of the water sports like stand-up paddle boards, kayaking, swimming, and the ambient sound of the waves. A lot of wildlife there, too. Loons. Ducks. Seals. Cranes. Deer. Bunnies. And more bunnies! Woo! (laughs) As if this place wasn't awesome enough, they're also offering fitness classes on the beach, wellness retreats, and meditation workshops. Wilson's Coastal Club is open all year round. And if you're worried about the Nova Scotia winter nipping at your nose, don't fret, they've got you covered. They're offering Canadian-made cedar wood-fired hot tubs and oceanfront 10-foot red cedar panoramic view barrel saunas coming this fall. Located at 7532 St. Margaret's Bay Road in Bootlears Point, Nova Scotia, you can book your stay at wilsonscoastalclub.com. And if you book before October 30th and use the discount code Mike and Kristen, you'll receive 15% off your stay. Woo! Private beach! Bonfires! Whoa, good times in the maritime! S'mores! I was going to ask, like, when you were playing music, was that, were you aware of kind of that collaborative approach or allowing other people's advice in? Yeah, I, I mean, probably sometimes no, but we were very collaborative and I was always looking for, again, looking for clues. Like if someone said, hey, this song doesn't sound the way I think it should, well, let's let's figure it out. But uh, it's tough. You kind of have to have one person leading the charge, you know, and looking back on it, if you're too collaborative, it song to song, things sound a little different or they don't, they don't, right. they're not cohesive or whatever it is. Um, the friendly dictator thing works a little bit. Um, with making music or having one point person, but uh, yeah, we with when it was just Glenn and I making songs, like near the end of uh, the last record, it was pretty easy because whatever he said, we just did, and whatever I said, we just did. And if we didn't agree, we just talk about it for a couple minutes. Yeah, and he's like, I don't think we're playing enough there. Okay, let's play more, and I just do it. Like we we called it show and tell. It's like mm. play it then, <laughs> and we just put it on a like on a demo. Sound good, great. Yeah, and it made it a lot easier because I trusted him. But that was like you know ten years into our career. Yeah, it's a lot easier to just be like, yeah, okay, you want to do this drum pattern instead of that one? Great, let's do it. Um, but early on, it's hard to navigate those things when you're in a band. Like, who's gonna contribute what ideas? And you know, you, a lot of emotions get trampled on. And that. That's the thing about a band. It is, it's the same as any relationship, like a romantic or, or otherwise. It's just, just figuring out what the other person needs and when their voice needs to shine, when, when their opinion has to be at the forefront and just, just knowing, knowing all those little things about each other and, and you and Glenn having the played together for so long you got to a point where it was i'm sure very natural yeah and we speak a lot of the same language um, yeah um, in terms of like uh we treat music a lot like design so it's like symmetry and the why is very important like, yeah. like the intention of things so when, when glenn has an idea it was pretty easy to be like yeah okay because he'd know why he'd want to do it i'm yeah. very much into why like why are you playing that yeah. If someone didn't know the answer, I get real, real heebie-jeebie. I'm like, I don't know why you're doing that guitar solo there, because because it's cool. I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I like to know like where it's coming from um, a lot. So to a point like of uh, obsession, obsession, like yeah, why are you doing that? Does that translate into your 
the rest of your life? Are you asking yourself the whys? Yes. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Too much, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no. you have a, so you have three children. Yes. What are their ages? Uh, so uh, three, six, and eight. To think about that. It's time. It's flying. Mm. But you said earlier you've had a two-year-old for a yeah. lot of years. Well, it's like now we have a <laughs> three-year-old. Somebody's always two or three. Yeah, somebody's always two. And you have three kids. <laughs> eight years going. Yeah. Mm. It feels like that anyway. There's the, They call it the terrible twos or the three-nager. Um, there's some truth to it, I think, but all kids are. I realized having three that they're all different. Like, they're all just so different. So mm. I gave my most parenting advice when I had, like, unsolicited advice when I had one kid. Yeah. As soon as we had Frankie, I was like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I know nothing. What am I doing? <laughs> Someone asked me a question. And I go, you'll figure it out. Like, I don't have any advice yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's no, there doesn't appear to be any correct way to no, go about this. No, but you think, you know, when you have like, you know, it's like anything. I learned guitar. Here's how you play it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like you had one kid and uh, I was like, yeah, I, I got this figured out. This is how he works. But he's so different. Yeah. My first child. When, when you have three kids, obviously that takes up a whole lot of time. Um, does, <laughs> yeah. does being involved in taking care of your kids and looking after them and the, the times when you maybe would want to be working on a song and like, oh, obviously I can't because I have these responsibilities. Does that create the times when you do go to work on the songs? It's like more, uh, yes. I don't want to say exciting, but it's like, yeah, sacred. Can, yeah. It's sacred. You're absolutely yeah. right. And like, other than Monday morning, cause Monday morning, I, I, purposefully try to not have because i'm so fried from my other job which is looking after three kids with yeah. my partner and monday mornings i got nothing to give to creative universe yeah it's like i'm right around 11 15 a.m i start to have ideas but it takes <laughs> like three hours that's good to know about yourself yeah no monday is bad but uh um you're right like i work with a freaking fervor over there when i'm in there yeah. um which is eight hours a day um, I sometimes go back in the evenings if I have a deadline or a band isn't, is, has a day job. And even though I'm exhausted, it, I think I know that this is for me, it's like a true authentic self because when I'm exhausted from like putting kids to bed, I can still go to the studio at nine and work till 1230, yeah. like 12 midnight. And I don't feel anything other than like, this is who I, who I am. Yeah. So I know that that, and that has stayed, remained true even, you know, into my forties. So still talking about guitar amps, you know, with my bands at midnight, like, you know, what if we tried that? Like, I know that's just an affliction. I have. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get rid of it. Um, but yeah, it is, it is definitely when I'm in the studio, man, like it's, uh, it's, it feels like, yeah, let's make hay while the sun's shining. And, and there's a division of, uh, my roles of like, you know, being in the studio is studio time. And at home I have a lot of responsibilities with the kids, like, you know, just logistics and bedtimes and stuff. And uh, yeah. And that can make you really appreciate it even more too. Yeah. Because you don't want it. I need, I need it in my life. Like what yeah. else am I going to do? Like, you know, I, this is what I do. And like, so yeah. I'm like extra sensitive to that, especially as you get older. Cause you're like, you know, you also have to make money doing it and like, you have to make sure you're trying to like pay the bills and stuff. Yeah. So it's like, um, I'm more than ever focused on making it work i think yeah and i, I think maybe in my 20s it's a little more like no oh, just see what happens with the band and yeah a little more flippant like i'd take three months and i just my brain was fried for three months and i wouldn't do anything because i'm just so tired yeah. of like trying to figure out what to do next and i just like brown out 
yeah. with this uh, job, I don't do that because it just, there's just not, you know, I don't know that I, any other way to do it than, yeah. uh, you know, than to just focus on it all the time now and make sure I'm taking care of that, tending to it. Cause I, I don't have much other time. It's just that time. And then kid time. And I've, I've, I've had to remove a few other things from my life, like more, you know, casual things or, yeah. you know, I think as the kids get older, that'll change. Yeah. I, but right now we're right, we're in it. You're your relationship with time is so different, I find, at this age than in your 20s, too, despite all of the other circumstances, because I think you're, you think to yourself that you have so much more of it, which ho hopefully that's the case, but you're not thinking about, I, I don't know, like everything just seems more uh, narrow, I guess, as you get older, because when you're 20, it's like this world is kind of this mysterious place it's exciting. You have more energy. You haven't committed to anything. You know it's coming or you're, you expect it's coming. But now that we're in it, it's like everything feels a little bit more rigid or decided or, yeah, exhausting. Like, mm. Just everything is tiring now. So, yeah, it gets a little bit harder to to have that freedom. But with that comes what you're saying, Mike, is this you're really valuing the time that you do have. Mm -hmm. Well, I find at times when whatever we're we're busy doing one one thing and you have to put all that energy into into something when you when you have something in the back of your mind you want to focus on like I want to go work on this particular song or something but I got to do this stuff around the house it makes it so much more exciting to me when I actually get to it. And, but sometimes if I just had all the time in the world to work on that song, I might not do it because right. you kind of procrastinate around it. Yeah. You're too, it, you don't have that like fresh year thing. It's really huge. Like a day off of something can be so much more productive than just pounding away at it. And I think that's with, with age. Yeah. I don't just pound away at something. I leave it alone. I let the universe, yeah. I check in with the universe the next day. Is this any good? Yeah. Um, with fresh years too, as a mixer, you hear things. Yeah. Oh God, that was the vocals way too loud. What am I, what am I trying to do here? Yeah. Stuff like that. So I find like, yeah, just letting things breathe is my, when you're young, you tend to obsess all night, every night, repeat all night, every night, repeat, you know, work on this, work on this. Yeah. And it, you can, you can have a, a bit of a hard time seeing, getting clarity. But I think as you get older, you, you're more willing to take a step back. Um, I try anyway, you know, I, I still don't have, I, I also don't have the time to like, you know, with the kids stuff, like I'm on a grid. So not used to being on a schedule. It's, yeah. it's been a big adjustment with, with having kids and childcare and stuff like that. Like you have to be on a. Yeah. What has helped you develop the skill of listening to the universe and following these clues? I think it's, it's always been there, but I just know it. I notice it more now. I've always been looking for clues. Like, uh, I think I, 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 I think people talk about intuition or whatever, but I've been compelled to do certain things and I can't, necessarily explain why yeah. that is like in my life like even when i'm in like on tour i'm like i have to go see this museum and everyone's exhausted and like i'm like i have to go i just go mm. and there's something there in that space and maybe it's months later I'm like you you get something from it mm. so i've always been a bit curious and uh to the point of uh a bit ridiculous where i'll like go somewhere and it's late at night, but I'm like, ah, I'm more, here's the thing. I heard someone else say this. I'm usually more curious than I am tired. Mm. <laughs> and, I, and I stole Who's gonna that. Who's going to win this battle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I stole that from someone else. I heard on, on CBC radio one night on an interview, this, this person was talking about that. I'm like, that, that's me. I'm usually yeah. more curious than I'm tired. 
So like uh, if we're on vacation and Alice and I used to take vacations together, which was a long time ago, <laughs> I know you guys still get to do that. Um, I'd be like, I got to go to this place. And she'd be like in the hotel, like, you can go, I'm staying here. And I'm like, I just head out. It's on the just subway. a little pull, like something's, something. something's forcing something. you. Yeah, yeah. That pushes me to do those things. And, and I, I think as I get older, I, I check in with that a bit more. Yeah. Something feels wrong. Usually it is, feels like your gut feels wrong and it won't follow up on that or. If I'm forcing things, I, I tend to, to like check in with that a bit, like relationships. Hey, do you want to work on this song? It's like, I'm forcing that. Let's let that breathe yeah. a bit. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm still trying to get people to work with me and I'm still, yeah. like, you know, I'm still like reaching out to people and stuff like that, but uh, I'm not going to push it as much as I would have. It's amazing to, to be able to recognize that, that power within you. I guess I'll call it a power because I think intuition as we'll we'll call it in this conversation is something that's typically is bringing good things into your life yeah i think if you're if you have a positive outlook and stuff like that i i, I you know there's the book the secret and stuff like that I, yeah. I don't really have any hard you know theories or anything about but i do think there's something about that and i know you two in particular um subscribe to those kinds of things where like i can just tell like you know you manifest you track more flies with honey and yeah. it's not like, and I don't think anyone's here doing that in a way that's like, um, just to try to get ahead. It's just, it just feels more like it, life is a little easier when you're positive. And yeah. as artists, we tend to be negative in our heads and stuff. So I'm trying yeah. to like figure that out for myself. Like, how do I get to a place where even things are, we're challenging. Think like, okay, give it time and think positive. Or like, how could this be resolved rather than what's going to go wrong? Cause a lot of my, you know, my Italian anxious stuff is like, okay, what could go wrong? Like, that's how my grandfather was wired. My mom's yeah. a little bit wired that way. So I'm trying to like figure that out, attenuate that a bit. Cause it's like, it's hard for me. Yeah. I, I love that. It, it, and I think we kind of build trust with ourselves as we get older and have these experiences that prove to us that yes, this was the way to go about it, to have trusted myself, to have trusted my gut. And it kind of helps us continue to live that way uh, and keeps us away from danger or bad things too. Mm. Like, yes, yes, we want to walk towards the positive, but also, yeah, it, it, it helps protect us as well to be listening to that. It's taken a long time. So I've only been at this full time about a year and a half <laughs> and have definitely struggled along the way with separating this logical part of my brain in particular about the financial stability part because it comes in waves and I'm yeah. used to it coming in two week waves <laughs> where this paychecks in my bank account but I've had the benefit of sitting in this environment with podcasting and just networking more with other artists and creatives and have learned just how important it is to remind myself that you know, it's the middle of the week in the middle of the day. And this is the experience I'm having right now is connecting with people and learning from them, hearing their positive stories and funny stories and outlook instead of being in that office cubicle environment in a high pressure, high pressure feeling. And OK, no, I might not be getting paid in all of those cases, but what it's giving me as a human being is just so much better than that. And it's giving you time too. giving me time. There, I mean, there's nothing better, really. I mean, yeah. it, it's a privilege to be able to do something like this. Like on a, I was going to say Monday, but it's Friday. <laughs> Don't be timely, John. Yeah. It's an interview. Don't be timely. I'm trying to 
<laughs> lost all my media training. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a privilege to be able to to like have the time and space to talk and and contemplate what we're going to do for work. You know, when it's it's in a creative field, it takes a lot of contemplation. There's a lot more thinking that goes on than doing. Yeah. I find like, mm. okay, how am I going to finish this song? If I don't have a plan, then nothing's going to happen. And I could play guitar all day; it's not going to help me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like, it's it's a uh, to Kristen's point, it's uh, something very ri- enriching about, um, you know, connecting with other humans beyond the fi- the financial thing we're taught to pursue is, 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 is important, but it's like, it's a lot to, you know, it can, it, it can consume you, the financial things, yeah. you know, and it, it's, but again, I don't want to, people have to work, they have to work. It's like, yeah, I don't want to disrespect God. If you need a job to pay the bills, God damn it. Yeah. You should yeah. do that. And, and I, and I often think like, oh, maybe I could just, uh, my, I did computer stuff in, in the universe. Maybe I should just yeah. do that for a couple months just to make sure I'm more confident about these next two months. But then if I kind of like do that, it gets that negative feeling again coming. Yeah. And if I suppress that a bit and go, Hey, just give it to the universe. Something will come through and, um, work hard at your music stuff. Just keep being positive. Things do come through. Like, and that I'm going on, I don't know what, like six or seven years of that now. Yeah. It's a little daunting because there's that one month. And for me, it's, it's, it's July and August. That's not a good studio time. Mm, yeah. <laughs> not great months for the studio. Yes. Yeah. Um, people are on playing festivals. They don't care yeah. about recording. They're outside. Hot. And so those two months are tricky. But if I just kind of like plan for those and then like let the, give the rest to the universe, like, okay, it'll come through. And like, sure enough, someone will be like, hey, can you write music for this thing? Or um, can you mix these six songs? I'm like, great. Well, there's my month. Okay, yeah. great. Right. Has that gotten easier? Like, are you? To get used to that feeling? It gets a little easier because I have faith in it more yeah. than I first did. But I still do that thing where I go to the negative and I'm like, I just should just get a computer programming contract. I'll go online and find like a basic one that I could mm. do with the skills that I still have. Yeah. Like they're, they're pretty dated, but they still, it could work. And I could get a job and just make some money and not feel so scared, you know? But uh, I, you know, I'm just a little neurotic like, like any of us, you know? It's I, scary. I feel yeah. in... This type of lifestyle and artistic lifestyle in general, there are a lot of periods of downtime that are needed and it might seem like it's whatever you're being lazy or not doing anything, but you are, you're recharging your brain and you're picking up little clues and cues that will, will take you to where you're supposed to go. And even like, watching a movie or watching a show like as an artist like you're you're taking influence from that like a well well well-made movie like there's so many things in there that that i take out take out of that and can can put it into my my songs or my creative journey but i i think a lot of people look at the artistic life and think it's okay it's supposed to be whatever 40 hours a week or whatever it may be Hmm. i feel like in terms of actual hard hours like when i'm at the computer like i i have no idea what it is but i i also feel like i work 24 7 yeah but a lot of some of that's me playing basketball and, yeah, 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 yeah. and like no one else in the world would say that's the would call that work but i'm like I, i'm going there to kind of clear my mind yeah. to be able to do the next thing yeah and that's just as important as doing the thing yeah that's it's it's the thing about being self-employed, I think, in beyond artistic, is like it never stops. Yeah. Um, I think where the for me the kids have been helpful in creating boundaries for me because I, I had to. 
Yeah. Because I was definitely like, you know, I worked 24 seven. Yeah. And the thing I, I disliked the most about being in the band was the emails, like the constant phone thing. Yeah. And once I stopped doing band stuff, emails just kind of stopped. Yeah. More social media now and more like, you know, chat messages and yeah. but like just the constant email. Like, Hey, can you do this for me? Can we do this for you? Do you want to play this? I just, that drove me pretty much crazy. And then once yeah. that kind of, it was kind of eerie when the phone kind of got quiet, but then I yeah. was, I was like, this is what I need. I need to be off of that. And, um, the kids forced me to do, uh, more, uh, boundaries with work. So when I'm home, yeah. I'm home. Um, I'm still, my brain's still a little distracted thinking about some song or some <laughs> compression pedals. Yeah. So, oh geez. I wonder if I should try that. Where can I, what should I do with this? I wonder if that would work this idea, you know, if I put this guitar part here, would it work? Yeah. Or, you know, I'm, I'm still like, I can't get rid of that. I call that an affliction. Um, and, and even when I'm not like, I find myself writing down lyrics. I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, what is this? And I'm not making music for me right now, but like, you still have a little bit of that going on even with being a dad do you want to do that do you want to write more songs release i, I think maybe um yeah. i write a lot with other people so yeah a lot you know a little bit i guess it satisfies it scratches the edge like yeah. you know logan and i are writing songs together and yeah. logan mckay and it just it's kind of the same you know it doesn't have to be mine it's just like someone else could sing it and yeah um kind of going on a bit of a rant here, but like, you know, I'll just, I'll go on one more aside. It's like, I find with songs I've written as, as I get older, I, I don't think they're really mine. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think they, they're just sort of, you just, you, you, you manifested them and you created them and you put them out, but then they're kind yeah. of not mine anymore. Are they like, yeah. they, you know, copyright, I'd like them to be mine copyright <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. make, try to make some money. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, like if I did, if I, if I recorded the coast is clear song today, yeah. It wouldn't sound like it did then. Yeah. It would be different. So like, that's just proof positive that, you know, they kind of, you do them at a certain moment and then they're gone. And, uh, so whether I'm, I guess just all this to say, like whether I'm writing my songs, quote unquote, my songs, I don't even feel like they're necessarily mine. And I yeah. don't know that I could play some of them. I'd have to look them up. Like if I'm looking up lyrics on Google to play a show, are they really my songs? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I don't know them. Um, so with, with writing for other people, it scratches the same yeah. uh, compulsion. Um, so in-flight safety catalog suffers a bit, but I don't, I find it harder to do that because I like to be paid. So, you know, I, I think it's okay to feel like you want to get paid. So I work on yeah. other people's music because I can get paid. I can't get paid necessarily to work on my stuff. Yeah. Um, it's much harder. It's much longer wait times. So, uh. I still do feel like beholden to like making money. Like I don't, I haven't lost that. And, uh, it's, it's a bit, it gives a little anxiety, I think, but it's part of what I want. I need to do. I need yeah. to. I've heard money be described as just another form of energy exchange. If we think about it that way. So if somebody called me and needed to talk just for an hour, talk something out, you're not thinking about dollars and cents in that moment. You're just exchanging this, this time and, and an energy with this person. And so I've tried to think about that in terms of running a business and art and not feeling guilty about charging money, not struggling mm -hmm. with what's the value of this painting, because it is all subjective. But at the end of the day, it's it, I've learned that it's more about how you're making the recipient of that feel. What are you bringing to their life? It's often hard to put a price tag on that, but it gives some comfort into receiving 
pieces of paper that represent dollars as that being the energetic exchange. Yeah. And I think that's really important to like feel like you should be paid for things. And I think valuing our time, it's almost coming, it's almost like coming back to that thing we were talking about before the podcast is like time is, isn't that the most important thing, you know, we spend with people or who we spend it with and what we're doing. And so if you're not being paid for the stuff you're doing, it, it's like a, a little bit of a devaluation. I think you feel of your time and, um, I think it's okay to feel like you want to get paid and maybe some things you do like, okay, I didn't do a great job on that. It's okay not to get paid on that or whatever. Mm. I didn't nail that one. (laughs) I might just let something go. I can't figure it out. Um, But uh, I think also being in a band where it was such a, you know, tour, right? Like no paychecks that come in random times um, with shows and and sync up or like publishing stuff. Like I just needed more of a regular income. Um, I, and I wish it was every two weeks. It's not going to be like that when you're self-employed, mm-hmm. but I just, I'm more conscious of like, I've got this on Monday. I'm going to finish this mix on Tuesday. Like I know my schedule more than ever, um, before. And I needed that. Like I, I realized I needed that just for my mental health. Mm-hmm. We've started implementing a bit more structure, like you're describing even. So Mike and I will do a meeting on Wednesday, yep. which may sound unusual for a married couple, but we do a lot of collaborating and work together and check your things off. Yeah. It's just a way because I found, you know, we'd be popping in and out of each other's studios and have the benefit that we are in proximity of one another often when we're working, but Mike's in the middle of mixing a song and I'm coming in like, Oh, okay. We have this podcast guest. Like, are you free then? And it was always just interrupting one another. And so this way, it's it's a small fix, but it's contained some of that and made it so that when you walk away from that meeting on Wednesday, you've got six days of uninterrupted time for the most part yeah. to now go do those things. Yeah, and that's yeah, great. I found the more we we do that, the more kind of streamline our life feels. Yeah, it, I think especially when you work on so many different things, like. You're painting, I'm working on music, we have the podcast, we're both writing, like, there's schedules overlapping and things we have to do together and obviously our our, our life and our house and all, all, all the stuff that uh, two, two people who are married do together, like, there's, we have to balance that and figure out a way to make it all work and not not overlap in in the in a bad way because we need to we need to be helping each other out when when the other needs help and if we don't do that scheduling that having that meeting then we're just all over the map so and you guys are doing that with three kids yeah (laughs) yeah it's uh it is it's challenging for your relationship when you have three kids because most of your time is spent doing logistics like who's taking who where and what's going on this weekend and who's working when and you don't get a lot of time. So it's the post bedtime is like obviously the sacred time for parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is hard to, it's hard to, it's almost the opposite of you guys. Like we just, all we talk about is like, yeah, it's, the, it's, it's the always schedules. a meeting. Yeah. We don't get to do the other things as much. Yeah. It's always a meeting about like who's going where. What do you do when you have your own time? Uh, I don't. <laughs> I, do, I, I feel guilty. So I, I'll try to like do the dishes or, you know, something I can not have to do later, you know, yeah. I, I should, both of us should take more time. We're, we're historically bad at getting babysitters and we don't have family in town. They're like uh, Moncton. So three hours away or, yeah. or Sydney. So, um, yeah. so it's harder to get in a routine where we can give the kids away <laughs> Yeah, and we, you know, we just haven't been good. And, and, um, 
my first child is, you know, he's a bit, he has his own personality. So we never really felt comfortable being like, okay, let's get a babysitter. I'm like, I would. It would be seventy five dollars an we hour. We can't afford to get yeah. this child to bed. Like, that's the minimum I would take for it. Um, I love him, but like that's kind of where I was at with that. So it kind of got us out of the habit with him. And then then we had Frankie too, and um, our second born, and and we're like, well, that's too many kids to give to. And then we have three, and so it's like we kind of got in a weird uh, and probably unhealthily. We should just be like, get a babysitter. Figure it'll be fine, yeah. and it will, and it would be. But we just kind of were a bit masochistic. We just kind of like do our things, our parenting things. And then we give ourselves a little bit of time after bedtime, but there's not much energy left then. Have you found, are you connecting with other dads? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, I have a few, uh, a few dads that I kind of, we can commiserate. Like, I think it's important as a parent, like you have to have that, like, it's like being a musician. You got to like chat about the bad yeah. stuff too in private. Um, I commiserate with, but, uh, um, I think I, I do a lot of the mom stuff too. So I feel more like I identify a little bit more with some of the moms that I know Yeah, have more in common there. In terms of like traditional roles. Yeah. In terms of traditional roles. And there's a few dads in my, in my position too, like where maybe we're like self-employed. So we have to be the kind of where the kids are sick or, um, cover any little gaps and stuff like that. But I'm also a caregiver, you know, like I'm not just the dad. <laughs> I come some at four and like, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, I don't know that a lot of dads could do that today. They'd be, they'd be fired. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> the name of your studio is Future Dad. <laughs> yeah. How did um, that come out? That's funny. Uh, it really wasn't much to do with kids. It was sort yeah. of before that. Um, but uh, I, someone, uh, one of my friends, we were out for drinks one night years ago, <laughs> maybe before kids and, she was making fun of a bunch of dudes at the bar and she's like, look at all these future dads. And I was like, whoa, I like that. <laughs> totally ignoring her. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, that's a good phrase. And then it just felt right for me for, yeah. for my business. And, um, yeah, one foot in the future, but also grounded. I'm a grounded dad. I'm yeah. a dad personality. I'm not that crazy, but I'm pretty laid back. <laughs> How many clients are you working with at a time? Usually? Oh, geez. Uh, I try to keep my schedule juggling like a few. So like sometimes some things are being sent out that I need to work on something the next day. So usually at a time it's like two to three. And then I'll usually have two to three clients that are actively working with, and then one or two in the back burner, like, okay, we're going to start writing for this next thing. And I'm kind of thinking about those things. So mm -hmm. yeah, two to three at one time that would be active. That's the manageable number. Mm. That's kind of like what you're pacing at right sort now, of, Mike. Yeah, yeah. And like a lot of, for me, like mixing has come in huge for me because it satisfies that like work. I like to be a worker bee. I want to finish stuff. So mixing mm. is quicker, obviously, Mike, than producing a full track. Yeah. So I can charge a little bit of money, but I can get it out the door. Yeah. And then I feel like a little more like less in my head. Um, It's like just, it's a little more like contracting work. And I, I really love mixing because it's, it's, suits my personality so you it's like technical shape the song and, the, and it's the then vision. It, it's gone yeah. it's like, there you go and yeah. i feel something like i feel that reward of like hey i'm finished this yeah. and even if it's just like i call it mix zero would be like the first mix um i, I call just, that a rough mix <laughs> <laughs> i just do mix zero and like here you go and then I, I i want it to be like it's only like 75 percent done but i want them to see if they like it because if yeah. they don't like it I'm in trouble Yeah, by about that point. So I, by trouble, I mean, I just, maybe I might suggest, I might not take any money and be like, here's another person who could do it, you know, just move on. Cause I want to keep working Yeah, and, and I want to get money coming in too. So, uh, mixing has been a 
big thing through the pandemic and then it's yeah. continued on. It's been the majority of the work I do. Cause yeah. a lot of people record at home anyway, they don't need me for that. Mm. You know, they don't, they can figure it out and then yeah. I can help shape it and maybe do some overdubs. And so if something's lacking, I'll do the acoustic guitar maybe at my studio. Cause it's a little more tricky to do acoustic guitar sometimes and make it the way you want. So yeah, mixing mm. and, uh, just shoveling work out the door <laughs> as quick as I can. Yeah. Speed has been a big thing for me because when I first started doing this job, I was pretty slow and meticulous, but mm. now I'm getting faster. Yeah. Got your templates to start with. Yeah, just like, yeah. boom. <laughs> you know, Mike, I'm not a template guy. Not at all? No, not much. So you, no. s you start every session with nothing? With nothing. Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> this is like we're down to like <laughs> gear hour for all those people like in the... So, <laughs> Mike so, John's a gear hour. Over here. so when you're working with uh, tracks that have been recorded, you can either, you're going to essentially be adding uh, what, what we've talked about before, plugins, mm -hmm. which are emulations of uh, physical analog gear that exists. And uh, rather than just starting from scratch and going, adding this, 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 and this, uh, you would have it set up. So, say my vocals, I typically run it through these, say, five plugins. I would have that set up so the vocals are going through there, yeah. and I would make some slight adjustments. Uh, slight could be major adjustments too, but it just creates a starting point where you can kind of get moving a little faster. I get this. For me, <laughs> it's I'm I know I'm likely going to add these things anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't say I mix by template, but I, I mix with the starting point that I would be adding in anyway. Yeah. Ultimately. And it's, it totally makes sense. I'm just a weird, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> it, I, it sounds like, kind of like a filter on a photo. Like if I put this filter from Instagram on, it's what, always going to be. Yeah. That's a really, plugin. That's yeah. a processor for yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah. This is an EQ or a processor or whatever. But uh, um, I like, it's like when I'm cooking a meal that I know how to cook. I just like to just, I don't look at, I don't like uh, my, um, I'm into like learning how to cook something and then I just cook it. I don't look at times or. Yeah. I'm just like. You're a feel guy. I'm a feel guy. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife's always like, how do you know if that pasta's done? I'm like, well, first of all, I'm half Italian. I need, I know, I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I touch it with the, the wooden spoon. I know it's done. Uh, you know, sometimes I get it wrong, but uh, I just like to feel it out. I don't time things. Have so like, I just cook it. Have you spent much time in Italy? No, no. And in Kristen, the only places I've gone in my lifetime are where the band played shows. Okay. Like, you know, really, with some exceptions. Yarmouth. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yarmouth. Yeah. <laughs> Port Hawkesbury. Yeah, yeah. 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 Up there. Same. <laughs> but I, I kind of, because of the music was so challenging financially, like to make ends meet, I just kind of let those were my travels wherever the, we had shows. So yeah. I, I tried to get shows there once, but yeah. it didn't pan out. Um, I'd like to go some point when we save a bit more money. Do so, you feel like, do you identify with that yeah, part of your culture? Yeah, I feel culture? the Italian part of me is yeah. definitely the dominant part. I'm like Irish, Scottish, and Italian. So yeah. I'm 50% Italian because my mom's par parents are from Italy. But I, I feel more, something about that, that I feel more, Yeah, that's more my personality. Because um, mm -hmm. I know my mom uh, and the anxiety and the <laughs> obsession with, you know, cooking and things. And so I'm learning how to cook more now as I get older. I didn't do much of it. But I like cooking from scratch. And so all this to say... I'm, I'm I'm getting sidetracked too with all these different thoughts. Come on, guys, you guys have so many good questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, like when I do a mix session, I like to do it from scratch. So I just yeah. get rid of a few things I know I don't need. Like there's a couple things I don't want in the way, 
and I just build it because um, it's like cooking for me. Yeah. It's like the same kind of thing. So I just start, because I like to allow the idea, I might be lying to myself that I might use a different processor for this person than yeah. I would for someone else. So I try to leave that space. Um, usually I don't, but I like pretending that I might use a different one. Yeah. Yeah. I like to, uh, I'll have, I'm using a lot of buses. Yeah. This is nerd talk again, <laughs> but uh, I'll have a bunch of different plugins all inactive and yeah. whatever I feel is going to make sense, just turn on and it's good to go. But anyway, oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> I always <laughs> tell him, Mike, he owns more plugs than anyone I've ever <laughs> <Yeah>. met. <laughs> well, every, anyone who has a studio or yeah. does this type of thing too much stuff has, has way too many. But yeah, I just, for me, it's like, it's like the mechanics of doing it from scratch. I find, cause what I might work on on one song would be the drums first, but sometimes yeah. I'll work on the bass first on another song. So I just want the, I want the blank canvas. So it's like, yeah. I, I do, I do with mixing. I do follow the moments, like feel. I'm learning a lot about myself today, Chris. <laughs> I do follow the feel of it. So if like, if I, if I feel like the chorus guitar is what I want to start with, I'll start with that. Usually drums and bass, but. Every now and then I'll just be like, oh, this guitar is cool. Let's just work on that. And then yeah. I just kind of go from there. Much like we were talking about writing songs, it sort of like might start in the middle um, with mixing. It's a little bit like that. Yeah. I want to ask, just running with this feel thing, were you self-taught in, in both music and producing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, I find definitely. like sometimes if you're trained to do something in a particular way, it can be very hard to give yourself permission to deviate from that, even though it could make for a better product in the end so there's something to be said for just yes following your nose letting that yeah, be enough that's true i never thought of it that way but yeah i'm self-taught for sure um and i'm also a pretty detail guy like i like to know the details like how does sound work what is it mm -hmm. when i when i have an epiphany about oh my god okay that's how that works so that's how sound manipulate if you manipulate it this way it'll do this or this is if i use this kind of snare drum without this moon gel on it, it'll sound like, you know, I like those epiphanies. I really take, when I learn them, I learn them. It sometimes takes me five years to learn something about sound, yeah. but then it's there. So I'm kind of like, I'm better over time. Yeah. Like my early work was probably a little shoddy, <laughs> but as I do it more, I really get into like the weeds of like, why is this working? And the why comes up a lot. Mm. Like, why does this sound good? And why doesn't this sound good? And I try to figure it out. And sometimes it takes months. <laughs> Like a fine I've, wine or an aged <laughs> cheese. I think I've just figured out a couple things in mixing like the last year. Like, oh, okay. I shouldn't have done that. You know, for me, it doesn't matter whatever anyone else does. It's just like I figured out a few things that I was doing. Like I couldn't, they were mysteries to me. I think that's, that'll be till the very yeah, end though yeah. too, right? <laughs> yeah, it never, never ends. I'm like, what, why overheads? Why are overhead mics so weird <laughs> on drums? And, you know, I just contemplate that stuff. I still don't have a solution for that one. That one's mm. still, I'm still on my list uh, to figure out. But uh, I feel more confident because I do it so much now. I feel more confident in saying the things I don't know because if I don't know it, I'm doing it like almost every day. There's gotta be other people that are like, okay, this is, overhead mics are a little confusing for drums. What's the best way to do it? Or mm. what, how can you make it sound the way you want and stuff. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't feel as worried about, you know, revealing the, the fallacies now. Cause I've, I'm repeating myself so much. I'm like, okay, some of this is a struggle, you know, no matter how long you do it. Yeah. Yeah. There's always, always stuff you can learn no matter, yeah. no matter what you're doing. Like Jimi Hendrix could, could have still learned lots of things on guitar, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <You> know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's what just, kind of lighter fuel to get to burn the guitar on stage? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zippo or not? Yeah, a little bit better. 
But you're heading to Music Week this year. Yeah, I'm gonna 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 head up and just it's um it's nice to be there as in like a behind the scenes person. So not as many running around yeah to do. But and I'll have my coffee with me, uh, my coffee set up and uh, taking in people who want to come for a hang at the hotel, and I'll have some coffee there. We can come buy, pop up. buy coffee from you. You can. I'll give it away. Yeah, it's free. Yeah, I do my coffee. I do my coffee pop up. Revolving in, uh, door in this man's room. In, uh, in uh, Music Weekend at ECMA, I do it. Uh, just started in Yarmouth years ago because Yarmouth only had Tim's, and I wanted That's different so cool. coffee, and uh, still do it. And Mike, will you be having bologna sandwiches or <laughs> something <laughs> to complement this coffee? We'll see. We'll see how it goes. No plans right now, but uh, it's coming pretty quick. So yeah. Gotta figure it out. Yeah. Cheese slices, maybe. Mm. Grilled cheese was good. That was yeah. a year you guys did that, right? We did. Yeah, we've, we've done it all. <laughs> Every sandwich you can imagine. <laughs> Town Heroes Restaurant. <laughs> on them all. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a fun time. Uh, so, John, where can folks find you? Where's your studio located? Let's do some of that info. Yeah, the studio, it's located in Spryfield. It's not really much of a walk up. You wouldn't, you'd be scared at the building. If you showed up at the building, you'd think <laughs> it was condemned. So don't worry about that. Uh, futuredadmusic.com. And then all my Instagrams or my socials are on there. Um, I don't update the website too much. It's just kind of points to the social media i update yeah. quite a bit just yeah. to, uh, like a lot i like instagram stories because it satisfies you know my need to like just connect with people but it yeah. just goes away after a while and so yeah instagram's pretty busy usually and um yeah Beauty. dad jokes on twitter uh, it's called x, x. yeah yeah, you'd say X and everyone would be like, what's I'm that? Done. I'm done with Elon. I'm yeah. trying to get off of it, but I do enjoy making <laughs> I never got into Twitter. Yes. We haven't done Twitter or TikTok. I feel yeah. like TikTok may be in our future just from a business lens, yeah. but I'm reluctant to We all feel like we've for... aged out of TikTok. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> already. I haven't even started and I feel over it, so. I think it's probably fine, yeah. It's all, all ages on there. <laughs> but yeah, fine. we just, yeah. <laughs> Should just do it. Well, buddy, thanks for being here. Pleasure to chat, to get to know your story, and yeah, just just learn about uh, what's going on in your brain there. <laughs> thanks, man. I, I I've rambled for a long time. No, man, that's, hopefully there's that's something what we want. You guys edit this right. <laughs> Cut this down. <laughs> it's no. raw. It's raw and no, real. That's how we that. do it. No, I, I really appreciate this. Yeah, it's been super fun getting to know more about your process, and uh, it's an invitation for new artists out there looking to to work with the pros. Yeah, sure. Like, let's send me a message. Let's talk about your music. And even if it doesn't end up anywhere, I just love the conversations. Like, yeah. that's what I like about uh, about this job is just meeting people and doesn't have to lead anywhere. Awesome, man. We'll keep doing all that you're doing and uh, sharing that wealth and knowledge with the younger generation <laughs> and maybe the older generation. Whoever needs to to learn from yeah. you, you know, you you have a lot to offer. So it's Thanks, uh, man. it's awesome to see you. Yeah, out there doing this and, and helping people bring their visions to life. Oh, thanks, man. Same to you. Yeah. Thanks for this podcast. It's a, it's a gift. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. All right, everyone. Well, another great episode, and we'll see you again next week. Cheers, folks. Bye.